You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Oneofus.net and all of the shows on it are 100% subscriber supported. Please consider becoming a subscriber to oneofus.net. Keep the site and all of our great shows going and get some terrific bonus content as well. your dials this is not a test this is digital noise was <laughs> i wasn't sure what noise you were talking about is I that a klaxon or well, you like, going, i had Ooh. one mode to go into this with yeah. and then you went there and i was like shit okay shit what came after that? I don't remember. Um, here, just make a noise. That sounds sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like somewhere between a cla- alarm klaxon and someone just going, ooh. <laughs> Which fits my personality to a T. Fair enough. Um, we are Aaron and Chris, and we yes. are Digital Noise, and we are here to talk about a stack of movies and a little bit of television shows as well. And it's a fun stack it's definitely unique there are some really good stuff in here and there is some really bad stuff in here but the bad stuff is going to be fun to talk about yeah. too so yeah some of the stuff that people are like hey, have you seen that i know it's probably bad but i'm curious we have that kind of it's stuff bad. yes it is bad <laughs> but let's start with the good what say Sure, I, I do enjoy talking about good first, you know? Yeah, and I, I always try and start with either good or something that's famous but bad. <laughs> and this, <laughs> Which, there is both in this stack. Yeah, there is. Uh, in this case, we're talking about straight up good, at least in my opinion. I have no idea w- what you might think of Takashi Miike's latest first love. Oh, that sounds positive. It was positive. Uh, I actually, I saw it in Fantastic Fest. Um, my opinions were cemented a little bit more during this, which... I always enjoy Takashi Miike. It's one of his more restrained efforts. There's only like two beheadings in the entire movie. Well, we saw it at, uh, at Fantastic Fest. I yeah. saw it too. Miike was there yep. and comes out and goes like, oh, so this isn't your typical Miike. And he tries to sell you on this is this family soft film that's nothing like what about he's done. About a dog. It's it like, about a dog about who a dog. finds a family. Yeah. And it's like, there's no beheadings. And then literally the first shot in the film is a head yeah. rolling out into the street. Which, what's <laughs> funny is that Miike has a diverse enough filmography that... I would totally buy that he would make a family film about a dog trying to find a family. And, and would, honestly, I'd watch it. It'd still be bad shit insane, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his films, all, even his most staid movies, are crazy. And to call this one of his more mainstream films is saying only to that that to someone who has seen movies like Ichi the Killer yeah, by him. Yeah. We're like, okay, so it's mainstream compared to that. Yeah, for his for his for him mainstream is, like, everybody else's small, grindhouse, fucked-up, weird movie. Yeah. And, like, he, he's made some legitimately mainstream movies, which I kind of think are some of his best, but this is definitely still very much a Miike movie. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's all uh, centering around the Yakuza in Japan. Like you do. More specifically, a guy who's not Yakuza, Leo, who's a young boxer, who's, like, we see he's an orphan. He was literally left in, like, a trash dump as a baby. Yep. And uh, he's grown up kind of angry, and he gets it out through boxing, and he discovers in the midst, and he's really good at it, but this one, he, the guy, although he's kicking the guy's ass, the guy gets one punch in, what they call a whiff, 
and it just hits him wrong and he gets knocked out. And he's like, well, how in the fuck did that happen? He goes to the doctor and the doctor's like, you've got an inoperable brain tumor. It's going to kill you really soon. Yeah. Which, of course, changes his viewpoint on life <laughs> a little bit. Well, and then right after that, he meets the other sort of major character who is a woman who was literally sold into sex slavery by her father and basically is a heroin addict. Uh, by by no choice slave yeah by no choice yeah they've been feeding her heroin to keep her under control and the plot of the movie kicks off when a completely different set of characters who is a cop and a gangster decide that they are going to rob this drug house where she lives which i did not understand this when i saw it at fantastic fest Mm -hmm. watching this movie this time it was like oh i finally understand the story yeah it's not really a house of prostitution it's just a that's more of a side hustle yeah but but, so so they they the idea is that they're going to get her out of the house they're going to go in and they're going to take all the drugs that are here and then blame it on her and she's just going to disappear but because she's going through withdrawal she starts seeing some shit and the uh, boxer character thinks that the cop is chasing her to kill her or beat her up and so he in the parlance of friday knocks him the fuck out yeah and basically they go on the run together where neither one of them really knows what's going on with the other one um the 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 hallucinations in question she keeps seeing is her father standing around in his underwear. Yeah, this whitey tidy's doing dances. Yeah, very. It's a very, very only in a Mike film type of yep. thing to repeatedly and, and see. And it works. But it's, so, so the two stories are her and then the their story and then the cop and the gangster who have this Fargo esque uh, comedy of errors as their small little will do this and nobody knows about it crime starts to spiral more and more and more out of control. And the gangster the, keeps end up having to kill more and more people very the, in very bloody fashion. The Chinese triads go to war with the Japanese Yakuza. And then my personal favorite character, which is the girlfriend of the guy who ran the drug house, basically becomes a, a wordless spirit of vengeance. Who just, for like a two-thirds of the movie just screams and is just killing and maiming anyone in the room in her underwear for the entire film. She's and, hysterical. And she's awesome. Yeah, she's she is definitely... There's a lot of, like, Yakuza characters who are introduced over the length of this, many of which are only there long enough to get killed spectacularly, especially in the very explosive, huge, ultra-violent ending of yep. this film. But... That doesn't take away from the joy to be found. I think some audiences are going to find it a little confusing, certainly. Well, the other issue I have is that for all that all the characters are interesting, there isn't a lot that happens with them. Like, I think that the main characters who find their first love are actually the least interesting characters in the movie. And they don't have a great arc. Yeah. Like just not much happens. They're there to survive. Yeah. And, and, and the story spends very little time actually with them doing anything. And that ends up being kind of the movie's biggest hindrance. It's just, you don't really care about them. The action is cool. The, the story is simple and fun enough that it keeps moving on. One might say it's not character driven so much as caricature driven. Yeah. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> Which is not atypical for Mike films either. It's quite not. frankly. Um, like not all of his, there are those that are very deep into a smaller amount of characters, but this is just so utterly loaded with, with people who are, you're going to know better by whatever their weird tick is that yep. they have. And they all have one. Yeah. 
Um, but it is thoroughly enjoyable, especially to Mike fans. It's not a terrible film to introduce somebody who's been hearing about how crazy Mike stuff is and wants to see one. It's kind of a good actually like, ease them into it. Th- this Mike movie. A- great introduction because it's got just enough of his weirdness that it's still very much a Mickey movie but it's also you know doesn't have the title cards and semen like Ichi the Killer and that's it's, true it's There's a no, nice transition no semen that's that's no. yeah like show them this and then show them Gozu Gozu is like at the <laughs> farthest end of me. that's like Visitor Q and Gozu is like right. at that end all when once you've like become completely inundated and oh I know don't think you can see anything weirder those I think I've t- mentioned this two. before Visitor Q was my very first Mickey movie uh-huh. and it took me three years to watch another one because I was like no I don't like him at all that, that was one of my first and I had the exact opposite reaction <laughs> <laughs> I was like I gotta see everything by this guy <laughs> Uh, there's unfortunately uh, well go put this out and on Blu-ray and it looks great but there's no real extras here unfortunately except for like the, the teaser trailer and then the trailer uh, which is a shame because yeah. a lot of the Mike extras I've seen have been pretty solid where's that stack well you know? it, it's over here oh. and it, it'd be interesting too because there's a few creative choices he makes that like watching it I'm pretty sure they were budgetary or based on this or that. Like, there's a sequence in the movie where it abruptly shifts to animation, which clearly is because they wanted to do something they couldn't afford. Yeah. But I'd still, I'd like to hear him talk about that. There's enough interesting quirks in this movie that there's got to be more behind the scenes on it. Well, that was from Japan. Let's talk about one that at least halfway is from Russia, although it's really just from America, but a lot of the characters in it are Russian and speaking Russian, and that is Give Me Liberty. This is an odd little yeah. slice of, of comedy chaos, and your results are definitely going to vary on this. I can see people who would fall, fall madly in love with this film, and I know people who'd be like, I don't, what just happened? The, the, I, oh, this was, I think, the most stressful experience out of the whole stack for me. Uh, it, so much of the movie is the main character being overwhelmed by all of his responsibilities and never able to do any one thing, and everyone is always expecting more of him. Like, I had PTSD flashbacks to when I was in customer service, even though there's nothing to do with customer service in here. The main guy, Vic, he's, a, he's you know, 20-something guy. Uh, he is a second-generation Russian who works in Milwaukee as a medical transport van driver. So he goes and he picks up people like who are crippled or are uh, like are just incapable of driving themselves yeah. uh, because of a variety of conditions and he takes them to where they're supposed to go and he's just having a bad fucking day it's not till he's pressured by all his relatives apparently like a distant aunt has died yep. and in the, and they all live in the same building and they all have to get to the funeral and they're all like the guy's supposed to pick us up hasn't come and they're all screaming at him he's like fine get into the van so like half this movie, while he's also trying to pick up people who he's genuinely supposed to pick up, all his his Russian relatives are just screaming at him and or and like playing the accordion. Playing the accordion. There's a cousin who may or may not be a con man who's lying and not actually part of the family. He was just eating everything he can get his hands on. Yeah, and trying to seduce and, every woman in the, yep. that appears in the film. And, and then his father is going clearly has dementia or Alzheimer's and is having memory issues and relapsing into a younger self and like starts a fire and towards the beginning. But the other primary character is a young woman who's got ALS uh, played by Lauren Spencer, who is a non-actor, I believe. Uh, I, I want to say she's a musician slash artist. Is she's she? somebody okay. who like was active in the art scene, but this was not uh, like a, I mean, almost everyone in here is a non-actor yeah. apparently, but I, you, you couldn't tell to watch it. And I thought, especially she was great. She's the one who's just had it. She's like, look, I've got a very simple place to get to. 
you're already an hour late. What is who are all these crazy people on this bus? And then weirdly, and the the film makes a kind of a, a time jump out of nowhere. And I'm not entirely sure how long it's even supposed to be, yeah. but somehow they end up being like friends. Well, well it, it, <laughs> so on top of this, there's also massive protests because there was a police shooting of an unarmed black man as well, and that is causing ma- road closures everywhere. And so, it's just the important thing to get from this is. It is filmed in a way that it is just utter and complete constant chaos. It is just this guy, you can't believe he hasn't freaked out and killed everyone. Like, I mean, yes, it's his fault. He's running late to a lot of the stuff that he's supposed to be on time for. But it's just a nonstop barrage of things that are, they're absurd, but they're absurd in a real world sort of way. Like, these are not like like surreal. It's just, they're like, Jesus Christ, how, why is this happening to me type of stuff? Uh, and it ends up after you kind of, for me, after I kind of got into this weird pacing that this film has, I, I found it kind of addictive where I started getting into it. And by the end, I was like, I genuinely like that. But it is a movie that would have been better to see with an audience you know, for sure. It, it was the time jump that did it for me. Before the time jump, I I was respecting the movie, but it was very much a kind of unpleasant experience for me because of all the stress that I had. Mm. But once they shifted and they were more friends and she had kind of become accustomed to what was going on, uh, that changed a lot. And one thing that's worth noting is that this movie has a large number of disabled people in it. And it treats them with more respect than I... Not not more respect, more realism than I've seen with this kind of movie It doesn't use them as props for comedy. Yeah, and so it, like... I... I'd really have a hard time recommending this to some people just because it's such a niche thing. And a lot of people, I don't think, would be able to sit through it with how naturalistic it is. But mm. if you, this sounds like your cup of tea, like it's a really emotional, beautiful film. It's it has some great moments. Really it. well shot, too. Yeah. There's some crazy... I mean, he he. it definitely feels like one of those films that... Like, the guy's like, well, fuck it. I'm going to try and experiment with this now because I just always wanted to shoot a scene yeah. this way. And it was like, okay, so there's like a weird moment at a well, party and there's a black and white sequence and there's like stuff like that throughout. You're like, okay, I don't really know what's going on, but there's a point you're either along for the ride happily or you just have given up and well, have no you know, idea. It's all handheld. I have this image that the director like got together with everyone and was just like, okay, look, we're going to kind of do this. Just, I might get the camera in your face, but let's just see what happens. Let's go. And uh, just spent a weekend together making the movie. <laughs> sure. Uh, so there is a bonus features. There's a cast and filmmaker Q&A from the NY- New York City premiere, which is actually quite charming. Uh, everyone there is kind of aware of what an oddball f- little film they've made. And uh, several of the cast members, you know, the non-actor actors are there as well. And Aww. everybody's really funny and kind of like self-effacing. And it, it, it's really cute. There's Why Representation Matters, just a short film that was submitted by Lola Spencer that was talking about it's very important, the way it to have in films characters you don't usually see in films uh, being shown, shown positively. In her case, yeah. she is a person who actually does have ALS. She's not just playing that. Uh, and talking about having somebody like that as a primary character in a film is important. Uh, there's a 16 millimeter uh, film of Russian the Russian core p- choir performances, <laughs> the film, and then poster and image galleries. That's so appropriate. Yeah, it is. But uh, I I do kind of recommend this. I I think it's worth a shot. It it very well may be not for you at all, or it very well may be your favorite thing this year. Honestly, if you're at all a festival film fan, check it 
out. This is the kind of movie that would do very well there. So also put out by the, the same company that just put this one out. This is I, I think I asked for this one and they sent me along with it. It was a Music Box Films. Along with it, I got sent Winter Flies. And a lot of times this happens where they like, well, we're sending them something anyway, so just shove in the other thing we're putting out this <laughs> month and we'll see if they review it. And this was one reading the back. I was like, you know what? This actually looks like it could be a lot of fun, uh, which, you know. And me saying that, obviously, my idea of what might be a lot of fun might differ from you. It's a 2018 Czechoslovakian road movie dramedy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, just by saying that a lot of people are going to go, nope. Yep. <laughs> but uh, he won, a, the, the director won Best Director at uh, the Karlovy Vary International Film Festival for this and was selected for the Czech entry for the Best Foreign Language Film of the 91st Academy Awards. It was not nominated for it. But uh, it's one of those two boys on a road trip bonding together type films i have to point out that the movie begins with the more awkward of the two um climbing over these pipes so that he can look at a section of highway and shoot at cars with a like a plastic bb gun a really nice plastic bb gun that looks a lot like a real gun it was nice enough that i thought it was a real gun for the first 30 minutes and until he used it again and you see him shoot a car with it and the car kind of does a swerve and so for 30 minutes i was sitting there going this kid murdered somebody and we aren't (laughs) talking about it at all like they're totally okay with him just murdering the hell out of somebody i had a second with that (laughs) and then i was like no I, i don't know a lot about guns but i know enough to know that what a silencer would look yeah. like if it had it on. And that clearly was not out. You're right. It, it was totally on me. But, um, <laughs> but like, so he gets picked up uh, reluctantly by, um, was it his older brother? I think. No, was, they, they are friends and one of the, so acquaintances, really yeah, more they're than they're acquaintances. And so yeah, the two characters, one of them is the kid who the aforementioned one shooting the gun. And he's, he's kind of out there socially. He clearly has something going on. And is wanting attention and friendship. You know, sure. he spends time alone. And the other guy, he's kind of the bad uh, boy, comes from what seems like a dysfunctional home, uh, and doesn't have a great relationship with his parents. And he has stolen this car and is going to drive up and see his grandfather by George and live with him. And the other kid, who's the loner, basically begs and pleads and guilts him into taking him along for the journey. Because what else is he going to do but sit and shoot cars with a BB gun. And there's a point in the film where it kind of switches to where one of the kids has been caught by the police and arrested. And then the film continues in sort of flashbacks with him telling the police officer, like his version of events, which is generally not the truth. And then we see what actually happened. And there's a whole thing where they pick up this attractive female hitchhiker, who and their story is oh yeah I just had sex with her the whole time and of course nothing like that happened because well, I, she's significantly older than both the boys. She was actually the most interesting character in the movie for for me. Yeah. When it got into that segment, there, there's a lot of them being little creepy shits, which makes perfect sense for their age. But it was still like I kind of wish she had stuck around for a longer period of time than she did. Yeah, she is an interesting character, but she. She's there still just to kind of propel the boys further yeah. on their own journey because this is a building's Roman for these two boys who I'm not sure ever actually learn anything by the end of the and film. But that, they do genuinely, they go from being like not even really liking each other that much to being solid friends by the end. That was kind of my issue with the movie. It ends up being too slight. Yeah. I, I wish there had been more of a journey. And because the scenes with the police happen after the fact, 
and in it the the kid that they're interrogating uh very much is just like i'm a 15 year old kid who has problems with authority fuck you police and it was frustrating to know that he didn't really learn any lessons and was kind of more than not the same person he was at the beginning i wanted there to be more of an arc yeah, I, I agree with you. It is very slight. It is enjoyable, though. Yeah. These kids have a lot of charm together, despite at points being by woke standards a little on the creepy side. It is a little creepy. <laughs> but they're teenage boys. Well, I was going to say, it's and, a little creepy, but it's also the kind of creepy that I knew friends who talked like that because they were more afraid of being seen as not manly than they were about being a decent human being at that time. These are Czechoslovakian teen, poor teenage boys. It yeah. would be almost odd if they didn't talk that way to some yeah. extent. And the truth is, nothing untoward actually happens to said uh, female hitchhiker in their lives. They just fantasize that she's going to want to sleep with one or both of them. Well, they, they buy into that notion of like, yeah, they're, it's a lady. We're of age. Why wouldn't this happen? Right. They're not. And, actually and actually, of age. when push comes to so- shove, they actually defend her from a situation, which uh, that kind it doesn't quite make it okay what they did. But it was right. still a nice ending to that arc, even if I would have rather it continued on. Well, there is a a extra feature here, which is a bonus short film, strangely not by the same director. I'm not even sure why it's on here, other than. Music Box got Why the not? rights to it, and we're like, let's just throw it on here called Jackie. It's a Lithuanian with English subtitle, twenty-two minute film. Uh, that's just I did not watch, but it's described as an estranged father with a checkered past goes to extreme lengths to spend some more time with his daughter. You know, I, I made a comment on a previous episode that there are these movies that we see over and over again, and every time you see this kind of a film come out from this kind of a country, this is the kind of movie we get in America. Yeah. Like, this is that Eastern European independent cinema. You've seen this kind of a movie before. If you like it, you'll probably really get a kick out of this. It's, it's really subtly beautiful yeah but it's also a slow moving slice of life slight movie with not a huge character arc so yeah. i can see that not being for a lot of people well next up we have a much bigger film uh in terms of like being boisterous and shit happening too much maybe and that's grand isle uh oh, God. grand isle is <laughs> a Nicolas cage led film wait wait it- Although he is not the actual main character, he is the bad guy in this movie. He th- Let me put it this way. The main character is not on the cover, Nicolas Cage no. is. No. Because Nicolas Cage is here to do one thing, and that is to do what Nicolas Cage does, is turn the dial up past yep. where it actually goes and don't to forget, 11. Don't and, forget Kelsey Grammer's in this, too. Who is trying to do the exact same thing. He's basically Kelsey Grammer's Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, so, like, like <laughs> those two actors, they legitimately put in entertaining performances. So Luke, Nobody else in the movie does that. Luke, well, no, I would argue that the wife, uh, Fancy, played by Katie Strickland, also is chewing up all the scenery and having a glorious old time okay. overacting. I but this kind is, of buy that. This is Southern noir that is being played for... That's being played to its most absurd hilt of extreme character performances, and it doesn't really work at all, but it is one of those, for people who like Nicolas Cage's more ridiculous films, it's genuinely enjoyable on that level. Yeah, Nicolas Cage is fun. The problem is that the main character is just this boring, empty, blank slate of an absentee dad, and... And I know this is a nitpick, and I don't care. I texted you about this. I'm going to bring it up. He he spends the entire movie in this wife beater, and he has these big, just 
completely unmarked arms. There's no tattoo or anything to make it visually interesting. And so the whole time I was watching the movie, I was just going like, Jesus Christ, man, you need to put a shirt on this guy because not only is he not that interesting of an actor, but he also just looks boring. He's not even visually interesting. It was almost like they said, look, there's no one of this age who could compete with these actors and the level of extreme craziness they're bringing to this. So let's just have him pull back completely to where he is just a blank spot on the screen which is not a good choice but yeah he's a father and a husband i wouldn't say he's an absentee husband he's trapped sorry he's trying you're right i apologize it's louisiana uh he's when when we meet him he's all beaten to hell and he's in the police station kelsey grammar being like i said he's like a a southern grammar he's playing foghorn leghorn police investigator you know oh boy i say boy um I think it's Louisiana. I can't remember. It is. I'm pretty sure it's Louisiana because it's based around the arrival of a hurricane. Right. But so, of course, they're going to do that in Louisiana. So the guy, Luke Benward, is playing the young young actor here. Uh, He is looking to get extra work because his wife is pregnant and they don't really have any steady source of income. So he's like, hey, I see your fence (laughs) here is uh, broken in, which we see in the first screen of the scene of the film. Someone broke into Nicolas Cage's house. And he basically just followed him outside and shot the yeah, dude. Murders the dude off yeah. his property. Yeah. And that strangely the does not come up for like another hour. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the guy was broken into his house on his property. A lot of states, you can shoot him. <laughs> end, <coughs> end of story. <laughs> Which is what the film says. Okay, that's what's ha- what sure. happened here. But, you know, kind of crazy guy who did that just with no emotion of any kind. Like, just another day day at the house. (laughs) So he's like, okay, well, uh, I'll I'll repair your fence. And Nicolas Cage is like, well, you can, the storm's coming. If you can get it totally done before the storm comes, I'll pay you like double or whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's incapable of doing that, partially because of the attention of Nicolas Cage's like over the top Southern Belle sex pot of a wife fancy. Uh, who, who is just thirsty? Who's thirsty? <laughs> like for her. she's thirsty for for drink, and she's thirsty for dick. And uh, it's clear we see before that even their relationship is broken. Like she still wants him, but but they kind of hate each other. They kind of hate each other, but they also kind of are hot for each other at the same yeah. time. And it's a weird like what is happening here thing. Uh, but she goes out and is like immediately trying to seduce this kid, and Cage is kind of silently observing all of this. Anyway. The upshot is he doesn't get it done before the storm. He gets trapped in the house with these guys because his truck won't start. And he's like, okay, well, (coughs) I guess I'm going to ride out the storm with these two really weird people. Yeah. And it turns into a thing where Cage eventually is like, look, my wife is dying and it's going to be a horrible death. Like, I can't remember brain cancer or some shit. Uh, No, no, blood... Blood brain or blood? I think it's I blood remember. cancer. But uh, it's like, I'll pay you all this money if you kill my wife. And, uh, of course, everything is not as it seems. And then the movie, if it's not already done enough insane turns, makes this really wacky turn yeah. towards the end that's like, which did you accidentally, did you throw two scripts up in the air and like, you accidentally why? put some pages in from a completely different script? That That could have been interesting. If that was going on the whole movie, that's why I mentioned yeah. um, the thing with the the killing the guy in the beginning not coming up is like it kind of circles back around and becomes much more prevalent in the last act. And at that point, I didn't care anymore. And then even further, the movie has this weird kind of 20 minute denouement that happens after all the storm and Nicolas Cage shows up. And the movie seems to want you to have sympathy for him and treat him as a 
semi-heroic character. Right. Which is really weird because it doesn't vibe at all with, you know, a man who we've seen murder somebody on screen and try to convince a stranger to murder his wife. It it was just a... This is a weird-ass movie. It's, this this is, is a, at best, so bad it's good movie. Yeah. At best. It's strictly for people who are looking for those type of Nicolas yeah. Cage movies. Like, I remember people were saying... Uh, who saw that recent one where he's the guy who's trapped on a boat with a bunch of people in a, uh, 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 I think an albino jaguar or some shit. What? Uh, yeah, and everyone's I haven't like, even heard of that. Everyone's like, it primal's its name, and everyone's like, whoa. That and there's also a serial killer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, but you're like, wow, that sounds like the perfect type of. And apparently, everyone came out of it going, that was incredibly dull. That was yeah. so boring. This is what you you were looking for. It, it reminds this me is of not, like this is not dull. It reminds me of like Bangkok Dangerous, you know, like, yeah. like that kind of low rent shit. This is a bad movie, but at least you're going to see some people chewing scenery movie. Yeah, if this is what you were looking for with your 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 one for a bad cage movie night, you know, I'd be like, this is exactly what you were. I'll admit, for, I don't know that I can say it's that good. It was pretty damn dull for me, but at the very least. Nick Cage was fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I enjoyed watching it while knowing that this is an absolute piece of garbage, but it just keeps moving. It yeah. just keeps <laughs> making weirder and weirder decisions. <laughs> uh, no Mercy is our next film, which is coming oh. out of... Uh, what Really? Okay. I'm surprised you hated it that much. Uh, um, uh, this is here, from I'll, Mill I'll, Creek, I'll who does their whole series of, you know covers from movies in the 80s that look like it's a VHS, like there's a VHS tape actually coming out yep. of the, the the slip cover, which is a great design it, uh, it, thing they came up with. You honestly, know. For, for with a couple of exceptions, I have enjoyed almost every Mill Creek release you've given me. I cannot say the same. Because well, like, <laughs> you, you, they've been bad, but at least they've been the kind of bad movie that I've enjoyed, or they've been movies from my childhood, like one we will talk about later on. Uh, but No Mercy is a 1986 uh, neo-noir noir crime thriller, thriller with Richard Gere and a very questionable character that Kim Basinger plays. Uh, boy, you think she's the questionable one? No, in the movie? I, I, I think there's absolutely nothing about this film that stands up in any way to today's tastes in terms of what is okay oh. to portray characters as. So, so, and she alone is just like this. I mean, she's literally playing a dumb bimbo is like, in terms of like her, that those qualities of her character are detailed out specifically right. throughout the film. There's one thing I like about this movie and it is the actor who plays the villain whose name I can't pronounce. Um, who is the bad guy in the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie. And he was the bad guy in the living daylights. Uh, the James Bond film, uh, who I love seeing him show up because he only seemed to really have like a wide career in this era. And he's in a bunch of bad action movies. Mm. And I love like for, for, for Jarrowin Crab. Yeah, I him. believe. But yeah, he was in a shit to the yeah. living daylights. Yeah. He was in the fugitive. So, so he's great. I love him. Uh, Richard Gere's character is so misogynistic and abusive in this movie that it legitimately made me like Richard Gere less as a person. And you kind of had a crush on Richard Gere. I, I, I enjoy Richard Gere. Like, I've seen a lot of movies I like him in. And watching this, I felt kind of betrayed. And, like, this movie is sexist enough that the plot description on the disc itself flat out goes, yeah, the main character's a cop who kidnaps a woman and forces her into having an affair with him. And it's intense, too. Um, It is one of those films that does not, even for 1986, this would be raising eyebrows. Like, guys, yeah, you it, really? It is, this is, feels like a film that if it had come out in the 40s, you'd be raising your it, eyebrows. It is. 
offensively sexist and like there are some okay action scenes in the movie and there are some interesting bits towards the end i mean it's not badly shot it's not some, it's, just, uh, it's richard it's just a, richard pierce directs this film uh, who has done a, a lot more television than he has movies to be sure but nonetheless he's giving it his all its biggest problem here is the script which is just ridiculous and awful um uh richard gear is a chicago cop <coughs> who's partners have gotten killed and he follows them despite being told by everyone don't follow them to new yeah. orleans and where he's told by cops there go away we don't want you here uh because it, it, he wants to settle the score with the gangster who was in charge of doing all that. And he ends up kidnapping the, the girlfriend of the, the gangster, which is Kim Bassinger. And they end up wandering around the Louisiana bayous and killing lots of people along the way. Because apparently everyone in Louisiana works yep. for this this drug lord guy. And they end up, for reasons that are never made clear, falling for each other. Yeah. Because he does nothing but treat her like absolute shit and then out of nowhere she decides she likes him this movie richard gear is basically vic Mackey from the shield except they don't treat him as a bad guy they treat him as why isn't this the good guy man come on he this is totally reasonable for him to do well there's it's mill creek so there's nothing extra here yeah. with these i mean, mill creek occasionally will put out more like uh headlined releases that he'll have a few bonus features but this is from anything with it they've got the vhs thing sticking out of it like that you're like the retro line there's never any bonus features yeah. so this is like a very cheap to buy as is our next one when a Str stranger calls <laughs> a re-release of not the remake mind you but the 1979 original film that you can completely see was why it was more effective when it came out than it is by today's well, it, standards this is probably the most influential movie in the stack somehow like the that urban legend of the babysitter, the babysitter and the calls coming from inside the house. I checked? don't know if this is an adaptation of that. It is. Or... The, the, the urban legend was around first. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, but, then... but it wasn't as well known until this movie. Yeah. In fact, you you watch this and you're like, oh, this is Scream. Like, this is where Scream got yeah. that idea from. And yeah, Wes Craven's totally like, yeah, I watched this movie when I was younger and I went, oh, okay, I want to do that. And, and this is this is the one of the more weirdly structured movies I've ever seen in my life. Well, yeah, because it's it, two completely different well, it's, films. It's like three. Because <laughs> yeah. it, there's a first act, which is the urban legend, which... I am not going to lie. It is effective. It is good. Yeah, you the know, opening act is on point. You know everything that's going to happen because you know the urban legend, but you still keep rooting for it not to end the way yeah. you're afraid it's going and then, to. With, by the way, a young, a teenaged Carol Kane, yeah, which is playing so the baby weird to watch which, her in a serious role. To watch her play anything without <laughs> the weird heavy accent that yep. she uses literally <laughs> everywhere else, you're like, okay. But uh, then, so that's like the first act, and then the second act skips five years later. With a cop trying to track down the killer after he has escaped from an asylum. Yeah, he's escaped from the asylum. Um, and yeah. then, then Charles, that act Charles ends. Durning being the, the cop in question. And the third act switches back to Carol Kane. Carol Keenan? Carol Kane. Carol Kane. Uh, as the killer goes back after her for some reason. To, to try and get her yeah. own children. And um, so the first act of this movie is legitimately great. And everything after that five-year jump is completely worthless. You don't even need to watch it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It would have made this great short film. The rest of it, despite the fact how much I enjoy Charles Durning, he's done this before. He'll do it again after this and other movies. He's not playing anything. It's a stretch. The only thing that really stands out as different is 
and it doesn't work is is that they kind of show you the killer right off the bat and he is definitely a crazy guy he's literally wandering around in the street Just, trying to figure out what's going on yeah. he is not one of those guys who you, you, they're playing up for being super creepy it's almost like are you trying to be sympathetic towards him well, i'm not it, even it, it's sure like they're making a statement what's weird is this is the only time i've ever seen a movie show an entire franchise in one film because like clearly there was a slasher for the first act and then the second act is some detective sequel where they tried to make it different and they're like shit no that didn't work we're gonna make a third one and we're gonna bring back the original actress and we're gonna the killer's gonna be coming after her this is a trilogy in one movie and only the first one is good. And there's also a sequel they made as well. In 1993, When a Stranger Calls Back, which, <laughs> which was made for TV and brought back Carol Kane and Charles Durning with the director. <laughs> not kidding. That's not on here. I would have been almost more curious to I, see that. I kind of want to see that now. Yeah. But this, I mean, it is one of those, like, if you've never seen this, totally watch it just for that whole first act, which is fantastic. And then stop. And then there's no reason to watch the rest yeah. of the movie. It's just yeah, like, it's okay. It's boring. Yeah, it's, it feels like a, a television thing with some weird 70s sort of like, we're not really sure what we're saying, but like, you know. And, okay, okay. And, and I'm, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this movie because I have to call it out. In the second act, there's the scene where the cop, he tracks down the killer. He has made the decision to not just try to arrest this guy, but to outright kill him. Yeah. Like, he is going to murder him in cold blood. He has him dead to rights, time to aim, and still misses him by a country mile. Yeah. I don't know why, but that, that just aggravated me. He's the not the best me. cop in the world on multiple <laughs> levels. <laughs> I don't even think he's a cop anymore, right? Isn't I, he a, like a private eye at this point? It doesn't matter. Yeah. W- whatever. Uh, so, going into a film that's even worse than what we've talked about so far, but you're, you may this may be your type of thing, is Deadly Manor, being released by Arrow, also known as Savage Lust. It came out in 1990, slasher film by Jose Ramon Larez, who is one of those exploitation horror directors that, for some reason, has a fan club, despite the fact I... I've only seen two of his films so far. The other one we did on a previous uh, digital noise called Edge of the Axe, and I did not care for that movie. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah. Uh, That that was us. I thought it was was, okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, I get it, like, what people like about this, but it's not. But you only only people who would like this are people looking for something that's even mildly different than every other slasher that was coming out. That's right. Sorry. So this is actually one of the last movies I saw. And it made such little impact that I have completely forgotten anything about it. And I'm having to Google it over here to remind myself, oh, yeah, it's the movie where the killer looks like that with the face. (laughs) Yeah, it's and it doesn't all make very much sense. It's a bunch of teenagers and they're on this road trip to vacation spot that we never actually get get to see. And for reasons question mark, they decide to stop like there's a storm. Well, there's no storm until considerably later yeah. but uh, like they're like we should find a place to stop so they just stop after picking up this weird kind of questionable Creepy hitchhiker guy, guy uh for like once again do. reasons <laughs> uh, and they're like look it's a big old dilapidated house that has a weird sculpture in the front or not like an altar of a car wreck uh yeah. with like this and you're like what's odd about that nothing yeah. we should go in and get shelter it's still nowhere near storming ladies and, and, and gentlemen weird shit keeps happening oh the, the movie did one thing that i thought was legitimately interesting there is a, a lady character who at this point goes you know what guys 
fuck this. This is a terrible idea. We should leave. Nobody's going to leave? Cool. I'm yeah. going to go. And of course she's the first one to And then like, yeah. I was so happy when they made that decision. And of course, just right away, dead. Yeah. Uh, well, because, you know, otherwise... Either A, she comes back as a de- de- deus ex machina with the cops, or or she, I don't know, or she the, just disappears and that's the end of the story. The one joy I had with this movie was that because arrow discs come in the little, like, blank detailist thing, you never know what you're going to well, get. That, that's the stuff and they so, send to us credits. Yeah, so, 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 so I, send, I spent the entire movie going, what kind of movie is this? Is this a slasher? I thought the main, like, the main character was actually the killer for two-thirds of the movie, and then I thought maybe it was a vampire movie. Right. Yeah, because there's then, coffins lying around yeah, and stuff, and you're and like, like, okay. This could have been an interesting setup for a really batshit weird kind of kooky movie, Yeah, but... And this is the same problem with Edge of the Blade. The other one we saw, the director never goes crazy enough. Yeah. Like, he just kind of does the bare minimum. It's it, You're right, though, because, like, there's, they go into the house, and like I said, there's a car crash altar out front, which is weird as shit. They go in the house, and there are all these pictures of this beautiful woman ev- yeah. up everywhere, like fashion model type stuff, like black and white photography, but they're like... What is the deal with that? Why are there pictures everywhere? And there's like stuff like secrets in the house and things. And you're like, and coffins. And they're like, what is this place? The unfortunate answer is not interesting at all. The answer is, oh, it's just kind of a crazy person. Yeah, And it ends up with like the, there's not a lot of killings in this. And what killings there are, they're a little gory. They're nothing special. Uh, You know, they are forgettable. Yeah, very forgettable. And it ends in a sort of shrug. Yeah. Really, yeah. I, I was like, "All right, I guess this is one of those that like there is a fandom for this you know? particular director, and this movie's been out of print for a very long time, and so Arrow treated it very nicely and and put it out with like remastered very nicely and with a bunch of bonus features for those people who this is their thing. You know what? This is indeed a movie. It is a movie. <laughs> I would say it is a finished film. Yes, sorta, <laughs> sorta. Of. Uh, there's 32 minute uh, House of Wax." spelled W-H-A-C-K-S, which is funny, uh, which is an interview with actress Jennifer Delora from the film. There's Making a Killing for Seven Minutes was the interview with the producer Brian Smedley Aston. There's an archival interview with Jose Larraz, the director, uh, which is only like three, uh, three and a half minutes long, which is taken from a ni- mid-1990s interview with him as, in his home in London. Uh, there's a, a original VHS trailer <coughs> for it, uh, promos, an image gallery, and an audio commentary with famous critics Kat Ellinger and Sam Dihan, and as well, of course, the insert booklet that's really nice that comes with all hey, You know what? Stuff. I bet that commentary is great because they always talk about the genre itself and not the movie. True. Uh, switching back to Mill Creek, and the only one in this stack I was totally thrilled to get a Blu-ray copy of, and that is Hudson Hawk. Okay, so I squeed when you gave this to me. Yeah. That there are a few movies that we have covered, surprising amount actually, that were kind of instrumental in my childhood, like <laughs> Cheech and Chong. And this is one that we recorded off of like TBS or Paramount back in the day. And so we had this edited for TV version of this movie, and I must have watched this movie a thousand times. I can't say that, like, but I was the guy who saw this in the theater and went, man, that was great. And oh, then, and then everybody else was like, are you insane? That movie was like unbelievably no. terrible. And I was like, like, I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun. It is. And, you know, in retrospect, watching it now, I'm like, no, it is terrible, but it's awesome. It's great. <laughs> so, like, 
It's it's not even one of those so bad it's good. There's so much good stuff in here, but there's also a lot of really horrible choices and terrible things that happen as well. It's a really unique film. So like, the movie is about Bruce Willis, who is a famous cat burglar, bur- blah, 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 burglar who gets out of jail, and before he's even out of jail, he's being told by everyone in his life that, okay, you're out now. Well, you're going to come rob this place for us. Yeah, he's like, being, we, have, we have a job for you. He's being blackmailed by his own parole officer who is uh, like connected with the mafia, uh, the Mario Brothers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and as well as the CIA, uh, to doing art heists, uh, teaming up with his regular partner uh, played by Danny Aiello. And their whole gig is, because you have to be on an exact time schedule, so this weird... Uh, it's just, there's so many weird character ticks that they have for these characters and one of them for Bruce Willis is that so to do that he has this how he has memorized the running time of every song ever yeah. recorded he's basically kind of low-key Asperger's yeah and so he just he just knows the song record yeah. the running times no of every song you like people Even are always like this them. song this song he knows the running time of every song so he, yeah. like when they're going to do a heist and they know how long it's supposed to take their deal is because they'll be going their own way to do their own part of the heist. They're both singing the songs, so they know exactly where they're supposed to be and when. I mean, when we first see them, they're doing a swinging. Uh, which they're they're uh, what's the song? Oh, swinging on a star swinging by Bing star, Crosby. Yes. Which, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the most iconic scenes in the '90s. Okay, thank you. Like <laughs> this is one of my favorite. That is one of the one of my favorite film scenes. Like in cinema, I adore that sequence. Uh-huh. I will forever remember that. Yeah, and and. From there, he continues to get looped into this ever more deepening, uh, just kind of mess with the CIA showing up as candy bar themed monikers as they're all secret agents wanting to do it. Yeah. And then there are a couple of actors whose names I am blanking on, who I'm sure you can look up, who play the rich Bond villains who are a husband and wife billionaires. Richard E. Grant and Sandra Bernhardt, who are... are amazing who are also do, don't appear to be reading the same script as everyone else no. is in this film no. because well, they're playing like villains from like a like a, a complete cartoon well it's from a satire yeah and so that's the that is why i think a lot of people don't like this movie is it can't decide if it's a top secret or airplane movie or if it's a legitimate kind of mid-budget 80s thriller. And, and so or, it jumps back yeah, and forth heist between comedy. the two tones a lot. It's it's a heist. Like at points it takes itself seriously as kind of more of a heist comedy, but not very seriously. No. But at other points it is like literally like an airplane level yeah, surreal absurdity. Absurd. And then there's the whole thing where the big plot ties into Leonardo da Vinci was where the movie opens yes. where he has developed a, a thing that can turn lead into gold but realizes it's dangerous so he breaks off the key ingredient into multiple parts and the idea is he hid them around the world in various places so the rich crazy couple who are the main villains and there's many villains in this but have are after them all in Leonardo da Vinci's old tower in, in Venice yeah. to, to build this thing and turn lead into gold it's really like so, it's there's a whole di- yeah, there's a Just, whole bunch of stuff going on in this movie. Like I said, the CIA guys all have their own weird things. Like James Coburn is the CIA head, and his agents all have their own weird deal about them. David Caruso yeah. plays one <laughs> who's of them. Mute? Who's, who's 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 well, he's not mute, but he do- chooses no, not to talk. He, I think. His name is Kit Kat. Yeah. I think. Yeah, he writes little notes instead of talking, and he always is in disguise yep. in weird ways. And, it's, like, really strange. And truly commits to a bit. Doesn't have a spoken line. And there's this big, beefy guy who's 
of course, Butterfingers, and he's the he's the uh, stupid Texan American guy. Like, <sighs> yeah, he played Leatherface in the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre really? and Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Beginning. The, okay. Of those two, the first one is actually pretty solid. Yeah, it is. It, like, honestly, I I kind of love this movie. It's like, I, it, it's bad. It's, I, I acknowledge you can't, that you can't. I I love this movie too, and I cannot. Def- anybody who's like, "What is wrong with you? Don't you see how bad this is?" I can't really argue with no. you. It is bad, <laughs> but, but it's, it's so good. But it's, it's <laughs> there are moments that even in my love, I'm like, "Oh, that was bad. They should not have done that." Well, like, but uh, but like it wins you back just as fast as it loses well, the, you. Bruce Willis is this oddly misogynistic, really insecure Bronx tough guy. Yeah, like he's such a weird character to be a super chill art thief and there's this running gag that dates this movie horrendously because nintendo just came out and that's the big difference between when he went in the world or when he went into jail and when he got out so his ideal fantasy you know sitting on the beach drinking pina coladas moment is i just want to sit around and play nintendo (laughs) and like i think they make that joke eight times in the movie and sandra bernhardt and the guy whose name i keep forgetting richard e grant Mm mm-hmm I cannot stress enough how delightfully amazing they are. I, they are maybe some of my favorite villains because they're so over the top and bad. <laughs> they're they have this dog and they keep doing this. Um, uh, fuck ball ball. It's Benny ball ball and throw the ball, which gets a great payoff at the end. My wife was so pissed off at me because every time I threw a ball around, it'd be like, hey, Fitzy, ball ball. Ball ball. <laughs> throw the ball. And so when she saw that part of the movie, she learned, she looked over at me and was just like, Man, fuck you, Aaron. <laughs> so let me say this film was both critically and with audiences a bomb by yes. any definition. It cost a lot of money to make, and it made almost no money back. Um, it $17 million in the United States and Canada. It made 80 overseas, worldwide, worldwide total of 97 million. It did end up doing pretty well in home video, and eventually, because of the strange cult following it's gotten over the year, it did finally start to end up paying off, yeah, like, uh, like paying back the people who were involved it, with it. But it's got three Golden Raspberry Awards uh, for director, screenplay, and picture, with nominations as well for actor for Bruce Willis, supporting actor for Richard E. Grant, and supporting actress for uh, Sandra Bernhardt. It was nominated for Worst Picture at the 19. 19- 91 stinkers bad movie awards it's been released on a uh, home release like four or five times and always sells well because of people yeah. like us you, you know like <laughs> this is one of I, I don't do this that often but this is one of those rare movies that i watched this and i bought it i was like oh yeah i still love this movie bye uh, if you have an old nes or game boy or an, a much older pc you can actually find the 1991 hudson hook computer game <laughs> that came out as well oh i'm sorry i say PC. It was actually Commodore 64, Amiga, ZX Spectrum, and Atari ST as side-scrolling game where you Wait, have... not Nintendo? You did say Nintendo, right? NES and Game Boy. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Good. yeah. Uh, so, just another side bit of curiosity about this weird fucking moment-in-time film. Yeah, like, if you're a film geek, man, you, you've got to try this out because it's so absurd that it's... I've never seen anything like it in my life. So on another one of those, why is this coming out uh, questions on Blu-ray, but uh, they're releasing a, a genuinely good show that I loved for one season and then lost interest in, an Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I remember I loved the first season so much. And Same it here. does have, incidentally, one of the greatest theme songs of any Females TV show. Are strong as hell. One of the greatest theme songs of any TV show ever. Which is a regular quote in my household now that 
I have a daughter. <laughs> but Ellie Kemper, in a definite star-making turn for this uh, as the lead character here, is a 29-year-old who is rescued from a doomsday cult uh, in Indiana where she and three other women were being held by a, a crazy religious guy, Richard Wayne Gary Wayne, played by John Hamm, for 15 <laughs> years. Um, she doesn't want to be seen as a victim, so she decides she is going to, with her ridiculously over-positive attitude, to restart her life, go to New York City, uh, become friends with people there, like her landlady, played by Carol Kane, coming yep. up again twice in the show, and uh, another star-making role for actor Titus Burgess, playing a guy, Titus Andromedon, who is <laughs> the the most adorable black gay man who has ever yes. been on screen, ever. Who... It is a crime that he is not Ursula in the Little Mermaid remake. Oh, and she, uh, that's true. And uh, she also gets a job working as a nanny for a, you know, absurdly out of touch socialite played by the wonderful Jane Krakowski. Unsurprising to see her here because, of course, she was on 30 Rock and this is created by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock who She's produced 30 pretty Rock. pretty phenomenal in this, too. She is. And, I mean, it's been nominated for 18 Primetime Emmy Awards, including four for Outstanding Comedy Series, although I don't believe it ever won any of them. But uh, it is a genuinely funny show, but I will say, ultimately, I fell off of it because, like, do you, I, I want to say it's season five or so of 30 Rock where it just started going this direction that was so surreally absurd it stopped yeah. being as funny you're like i'm kind of nobody seems like they're even mildly in the real world anymore yeah. and it's kind of not as funny because of that and this whole show is kind of that well, way yeah it where, starts there yeah and then it gets more absurd. and it's funny for a while but and, and, it's never really finds a way to make that evolve at all and i found that by halfway through the second season i just like oh i mean i don't dislike it i just feel like i've seen everything the show has to right. offer maybe it gets better in the next seasons i i don't honestly know my, my, my wife watched them all i watched part of them and it let, let me say this if you like unbreakable kimmy schmidt more power to you i also had the same issue it becomes less and less the real world and more and more this weird absurdist fantasy world yeah which just isn't what I signed up for. And like, I, I didn't have that issue as much with 30 rock. I think it's, it's one of those sitcoms that I've rewatched a couple of times and I yeah. enjoy quite a bit, but this one, I j just couldn't make it through. And it's, it's not the actor's faults. The acting is great across the board. And there's great cameos throughout yes. this thing. So many big and hysterical and awesome people show up in the show for like sometimes multi-episode arcs. Yeah. Even it's just, it's just too silly. It's just that, yeah, it's that point. It's going to be really fun for a while. But after a while, you're just like, okay, I've, I've had enough of that. Yeah. And you can always listen to the opening on Spotify. No, I said, why is this coming out on Blu-ray? Because it's not ever going off of Netflix. Netflix is not going to suddenly decide to pull Kimmy Schmidt from their programming and go, oh, we're not going to you know, offer this to our original programming of this to anyone anymore. Well, I'm going to argue with you on that for one point. Because Netflix is a private corporation. At some point, it is not outside the bounds of possibility that something will happen and Netflix goes under. We've no, seen it happen. I agree. I and think that's going to be, if like, it does happen, it would be quite some time. In and the like, if Netflix, if something happens and Netflix crashes, there is no archival data publicly available, at least, for the content they make. Sure. So even though, yeah, yeah I'm not going to buy this, I'm happy it exists, if only because should Netflix die it exists still. It does. It doesn't just get lost to some hard drive somewhere. Right. Um, I guess I, I just find that highly unlikely anytime soon. And by the time it does, Blu-ray will be, which is ob fair. will be obsolete. Which is fair. <laughs> I, I, I would be equally happy finding out that like 
the government was like had a catalog like, like the library of congress i'm like no everything netflix does we have a copy of it you're good <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh, the main thing i go is like okay if that did happen then would be a good time to release stuff on yeah. blu-ray not well, if, now well and you're right because like i guess if that happens somebody's probably gonna buy it and release yeah. it and so it'll exist but still yeah i mean and there's no bonus features of any Which kind there never is so it's like it's all right it's always weird yeah i i don't understand the thinking for a lot of these companies putting out the home releases for this i mean Wait. i get it more with something like where the cw network or not cw or the dc streaming has been putting out their shows because they kind of realize that that audience can be very specific at being i'm only interested in this one thing you know like and there's not only so many shows on the dc streaming network so it's like there are people like yeah i only really want swamp thing i don't want these other things uh and so yes you can buy that what blows me away is that they're always bare bones like yeah i i I would think that the allure would be add something fill that up with behind the scenes content yeah, but so no. we can get more I don't understand why yeah, yeah. Uh, so our last film today is my pick of the week my too oh yay and that is Snatchers uh, oh yeah I was like what is this other one he apparently had borrowed THX 1138 yes. so did you like it <laughs> I did okay good uh, but Snatchers it is you know literally came out of nowhere for me i'm sure this is the one that for people who well, saw it on a festival circuit it was so not on my festival circuit i googled it and it, it ends up that and this is kind of weird snatchers was apparently a collection of web shorts right but like while trying to make the movie they couldn't get funding so they made it a bunch of shorts and kind of combined them all into a feature-length film which i was i'm assuming some shooting around to make it all mesh together well and so this movie was apparently shot and released over several years and i'll be honest it does not show it no this is an incredibly tight movie that horror uh, it completely blew my socks off how witty and clever and well-written it I, was. I would call it a, a splat stick uh, yeah. horror for sure uh like the comedy that a lot of the humor is just ridiculous over the top gore but at that point where you're like it's more funny than it is gross yeah. because it's just so silly the way it's done and it's you know all right so the, let me just say so the story starts falls around sarah who is a senior in high school and she's a status obsessed teen she's basically a modern day heather if you yeah, will, with her group of other Heathers that she hangs out with. Six months after she decided to become a Heather and said fuck off to all of her friends. Right. Uh, yeah. But she is totally into this really dumb, hunky guy. And she basically talks, even though he's completely ignoring her, she ends up talking her into him into hanging out. And they have sex. And she's like, uh-oh. And wakes up the next morning, really uh-oh. And she appears to be nine months pregnant. Which, And I have to point out, just the they have sex is... One of the more awkward, painful, and hilarious, or yeah. being honest, sex scenes where, like, they don't have a condom, and she kind of decides it's okay to pull out, and then he doesn't pull out, and then, like, watching that, I I felt my inner 17-year-old girl shriver up, shrivel up and just, like, feeling that connection with her. Well, she doesn't know what to do. She's, like, who do you go to with this? So she decides the only person she can talk to is the person she used to be best friends with when she was much younger, who is very nerdy, named Haley, uh, who, of course, is like, why are you coming to me? Yeah. You don't even, you ignore me in school. And, but they team up when she shows it to her. They go to the, the, the free clinic, and uh, the thing comes out of her and it is a thing it's an alien creature that can like like a gremlin it's a bug it's like a little gremlin bug that is like yeah part grasshopper because it can jump and move super fast and and worth pointing out that when it comes out of her it 
beheads a guy. Yeah, it just, just explodes, like explodes his head. Uh, and that's the thing is it goes around killing people, but it also can do this thing where it sits on people's head and puts like a stinger in the back of the neck and can control the person. Yeah. Um, but you, it can't do it surreptitiously because it's literally and, and, riding the people like a hat. And it's an interesting visual that must have required some pretty talented... Uh, physical stunt work just because they're bent over at almost a 90 degree angle and I can't imagine that was a pleasant experience for those actors and this film wants to do nothing but have a good time and it succeeds quite frankly it is just a glorious series of set pieces where like at a police station and that at a high school party with them going and trying to stop this thing from devolving into utter carnage chaos and it does anyway and it's just wonderful and glorious and yep. i had a great time with this same here every character in the movie is interesting the the only weak link in this movie for me uh there are two things the boyfriend is very one note and very over the top and he's the only one who i don't know if he has the acting chops to pull off what they wanted him to do because he just goes straight to whiny asshole immediately mm-hmm. and i wanted just bit more with him yeah and idea being like he's got infected with something which is a weird little subplot which is it's a cool idea yeah they don't do as much with that yeah they needed to add another few minutes towards the end for payoff like it's connected to some aztec thing don't worry about it it really ultimately doesn't matter but that part does drag on a little bit that (laughs) and and the movie's budget kind of starts to show its wear in the third act when they try to get more ambitious with the monster effects which i are still cool though. They're good. They it's do just this, that... they do this a lot of practical work, which I like. I mean, in the Agreed. bonus features, they talk about how anything we could afford to do practical, we did practical because that was the goal. And like, there's a lot of there's a few shots of of a big monster at the end that you can tell are pure CG and they don't look great. But what they tried to do most of the time was do shots where the whole head and neck of the creature was a puppet, which looks terrific, and then the rest of the body was CG. Right. And on the whole, they made that work. I, for the most part, like the budget, the, it shows a little bit, and the, there's this weird moment from a script point where it's the only time in the movie that the script feels forced, where the main character turns to her friend and is like, no, I'm going to take care of this on my own, and it exists solely so that they can have the main character be in peril and then be saved later on, and it's such a naked scriptwriter moment that it pulled me out. Yeah. Um, otherwise like this is phenomenal and what blew me away I, I i because i got into the characters and the writing so much i googled it like clearly this is a bunch of female screenwriters who are like no this is honest and real and no it's three dudes yeah well, which go still, them it, wow it, it's still like yeah it yeah, does I'm everything impressed. you should do by today's <laughs> standards i mean it's it's definitely a rated r film it's definitely not for the faint-hearted, no. but it is not. Its offensiveness is not offensive by any sort of liberal standards, unless you find a lot of gore really exactly like, dis- disturbing. It, it never treats, it, with the exception of the boyfriend, mm-hmm. it never treats its characters as anything less than human beings. Yeah, and, and, he's and that sells it. Kind of supposed to be a caricature of like he this is. dumb, rich, white, horny, doesn't care who he fucks, which in the movie even is not entirely his fault. No, to be it, fair, but he's playing that's all part of like okay we know the type of guy we're talking about yeah. here uh he, which is fine <laughs> he's he's every guy named Derek in every single high school movie you've ever seen but now you understand why it's called snatchers yep <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the bonus features are great, actually. The little documentary, it's not super long, but called The Birth of Snatchers, where they, they talk to all of them, and they're clearly just 
had the greatest time making this thing, this thing that they didn't know for sure would ever even see the light of day, but like, fuck it, let's have at least have fun making it. And it's, it's solid. And it like, makes you want to see whatever these guys do. Think next. This is one of those projects where from top down, I want to see what the writers, directors do next. I want to see what these actresses do next. Yeah. Especially the friend. I was into her character and into that actress's performance. I, I liked both her and the main yeah. character quite a bit. Um, Mary Neppy and Gabrielle Elise. They're both terrific. I hope they get a lot of work. This is a great movie. Yeah. Definitely uh, pick of the week. And there's also a blooper reel on here, audio commentary by the filmmakers, and it comes with a digital copy, which is odd for a little indie film, yeah. like horror like this, but I was like, oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, definitely our pick of the week. And that is it for this week's Digital Noise. Uh, thanks, Aaron. I know Aaron's been having a double up lately because John has had some commitments with his <laughs> with his acting lately. He's actually got some some relatively high-profile roles and stuff. So Good for John. He's like, I'll darn be, it. He's like, I'll be doing this for the whole end of February, first half of March. It was like, okay, looks like it's going to be all Aaron. I guess I'll have to watch more movies. Oh, no. Oh. God, you're like, the, you're the best, Aaron. 